Good morning. Uh, please open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 12. It's Romans 12, 9 through 12. And please stand with me as we read God's word. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I trust that you had a good Thanksgiving. Um, We got to go sledding. We went to Spokane and uh, spent time with my family, and we had three inches of snow. So it was a, I want to say a Christmas miracle, but it wasn't. It was a Thanksgiving miracle. Um, We enjoyed it. Uh, And I trust that you guys as well had had time, a good time with your family. Um, Before I go into this and consider for ourselves what... uh, God might have us consider in these verses. I want to thank you for the patience that you've given me in that as we have walked through Romans 12. Um, I admitted in the very beginning as we were heading into Romans 12 that we were going to go a little bit slower, take a little bit slower pace going through this section. And as we've gone through it, I've been wanting to be faithful to the Christian ethic that's being revealed in here. And, And to be fair, I could have... There's a lot more here to preach from. Um, We could labor on for weeks on end on Romans 12. But I just want to give you kind of a highlight or kind of where we're going. So we're going to continue to look at Romans 12. We're going to focus in on today, rejoicing in hope. What does that look like for those who are of the beloved? But as we look at that, we're just going to spend two more weeks in Romans 12. I feel that in that sense, we have been faithful to the heartbeat that which Paul is trying to drive into the Christian community of how to respond in light of the doctrine and what Christ has done for us. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break. I've asked Adam, after we celebrate Christmas together, we'll do a couple Sundays reflecting on Christmas. And I've asked Adam, starting in January, to to preach for several weeks. And he's going to um, take us through something. And then we will continue after that in January, um, starting Romans 13 which I know some, many of us have longed or looked forward to. Uh, I laugh. Uh, Romans 13 has to do with how Christians respond to government, right? Um, uh, Jared, when we were doing the bathrooms, he said, uh, well, we've gone through COVID. We've gone through per, uh, uh, COVID and, and predestination together. It's all downhill from here. Well, government still. We still have to deal with politics, um, I look forward to that. I think it will be good for us as we consider it. Um, uh, so you can pray for me um, in that time. One night slide note as well up to this transition as Thanksgiving now has passed us. Um, yeah, enjoy this season. There is much reason to, to take every day slowly and reflect on what God has given us into Christ to extend that to others. Uh, here it says... Um, in Romans 12, one of the things that Christians participate in, in verse 13, practicing hospitality. This is a good season to do that. You'll notice in your bulletin, um, there is 
a QR code if you know how to use those. But we, my wife and I would like to invite you to our house. Um, if you QR it, you can find us. Um, it, we'll have our house open from 5.30 to 9. So we'd love to have you come in and, and fellowship with us, enjoy a time of evening with us. Uh, yeah, if you guys want to come all at 5.30, you can. Or all at night. Oh, don't all come at nine. That, that's just, that's not going to work. But we'd just love to enjoy and celebrate Christmas with you and make our house available to you. But do that as well with others. Um, yeah, we have much to rejoice in this season. And so with that in mind, today is, uh, yeah, the first Advent. Uh, emphasis on hope. It's part of the reason why I preached on devoting to prayer. And then this week, like, well, let's focus in on rejoicing in hope today. Um, we, on Thursday, we gathered as families and we sat around the table given reason for the thankful, being thankful for what God has done and now we gather again and we sit before our table. And so with that in mind, I think as we did on Thanksgiving, we prayed for one another in light of the thankfulness of what God has done for us. We gather as a family of God, recognizing that we weren't born by natural birth tour and united in that sense, but united by the Spirit. And through that work of Christ and by the Spirit, we now participate in a table that is producing great hope for what is set before us. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, in that mindset, rejoice in hope. I'd like to just stir our hearts in that this morning. Um, it seems like uh, last two years, we, we, we say this regularly, um, there has been trouble, I think more distress. I don't remember any other time in my own life where I speak generally, I don't speak specifically to my own situation, but I, I do think we could speak in general, that we have seen a quicker uh, response for relationships to be broken, whether it be friendships, even families. Even here locally, we've seen churches uh, at odds. And throughout, throughout the United States, uh, you can notice that even in the news, there's, there's a result of this trouble that we've faced, um, the media loves to play with this issue, putting one state's policy against another state's policy and further enriching strife, which way is better, which one's best. And that in, then becomes the practice of its citizens. In the nation, it seems to be put on edge. Like, uh, I think America, in my, in my own season, we've enjoyed some comforts, and now we're realizing that through trouble, uh, as Jesus even taught, when the, when the world faces trouble, the world moves not towards hope, but towards disunity and division, lawlessness. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 12. Because of lawlessness increase as a result of trouble, distress, most people's love will grow Cold. It shouldn't shock Christians that when trouble faces the world, Christians have historically responded, recognizing why lawlessness and the love of men grow cold. Yet in that mindset, Paul calls the church to be known to rejoice in hope, which is a great reminder for us in this, our own life, just to ask this simple question in our fellowship, in our gatherings, in our discussions, are we known for that? 
Or are we rather known for as I am often tempted for the grumbling, the complaining, which there might be some place for that, but as it might um, improperly take hold of our own hearts that we have lost the joy of the hope set before us and that troubles for the Christian does something. There should be a response that we recognize that God is using these things for something for his good. And Jesus said this himself again, like in John chapter 16, verse 33, telling the disciples they were going to face trouble. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world, in the world, you will have tribulation, trouble, distress. Take courage, for I have overcome the world. Jesus and Paul and Peter, the New Testament writers, the gospel did not deny reality. It recognized that there is good news, but in the midst of good news, there was still going to be trouble. Christians are not delusional with the world in front of them. We're going to see war upon wars, famines increase, but in light of that, we'll see the love of man grow cold. But the church in that mindset, the Christian ethic, should be seen in that they rejoice, even in those times, with hope. Romans eight sixteen through 17 testifies this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer, there's trouble ahead of us, distress with him. And we do it with him so that we may also glorify it with him. Romans 8.35, Paul anticipates this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? When we understand the gospel, Christians are not delusional in the sense And that, yes, we know the world is going to go through hard times. Yet the Christian ethic, in light of these situations, responds differently. Peter, looking at the church, he said, in this, as he writes to the church, as they face trouble, he said, in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So the Christian is not delusional knowing that we're not going to escape the troubles of this world. We can anticipate it. But what might bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit is that there's this longing of hope. What does the current situation bring you? What should it bring you if the Spirit resides in us? It should foster within us this deep longing of hope. So this is what I want to do for this morning. I want you to just, simply I wanted to ask you to listen. In times like this, I find it so helpful for me Uh, I love going through Isaiah and stirring in within my own affections the hope that's been promised for those who are children of God. And I've done that with you before. I thought to myself, what should I take them? Not to Isaiah, but I think I'm going to take you this morning just to stir our hearts, to rejoice in hope. Because if there is no hope, I don't think we can be faithful to what Paul asks us to do after that. Rejoicing in hope with perseverance. Persevere in tribulation. If we have no hope, we're unable to persevere in tribulation. And so all I want to do this morning, if you allow me, is before we go to the table, is to remember what we have to hope for. And in light of the trouble we face, this gives us a deep longing of what is to come. And so I would like, in order to be faithful, I think to Romans chapter 12, verse 12, to turn our attention to Revelation chapter 21. For we know this. We can rejoice in hope in that we know that these things shall pass. And so if you have your Bibles, 
turn to 21. And I want to just read with you, remind you what's promised you. For those of you who are on Christ Jesus, what is to come for you who hope in him? John, also writing to the churches who are experiencing trouble, writes these things to encourage them. Rejoicing in hope, we recognize that these things shall pass. Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 1. John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first, first heaven and the first earth passed away. Done. One of the things that Christians are not delusional about in the present reality is that this present world, the physical nature of it, is decaying. It is dying. I have a picture up here for you. When, when the Jew recognized the situation in the world in front of them, they recognized they had just to the edge of, their, of Jerusalem the Negev. They call it the desert. No life. You get the chance to go to the Dead Sea. It's called dead because there's nothing in it. And anything that goes in it dies. And there was these prophecies in that even in these regions of the world that God would cause these things of earthly material to pass away. John writes to the, to the church, to those who trouble or face trouble, I saw a new earth, a new heaven, for these things will pass away. Isaiah, I said I wasn't going to go from Isaiah, but I'm going to go to Isaiah anyway. He promised this, and when the Jew brought, read these things, they anticipated with great joy. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2, the wilderness and the desert will be glad when the king comes, and the Arabia will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. John taught, just as Peter and Paul will do it, rejoicing in hope. Christians are not delusional. They recognize the world is falling apart all around them, but they anticipate this hope when Badger Mountain will be totally transformed. It stands for this day, I think it was Rattlesnake, the tallest mountain that's treeless. It waits for the day in which it can have trees and be so transformed and maybe get a facelift and be exalted as mountains in Colorado. But Christians recognize that the present world is dying. And in that reality, we long that the earth itself would be transformed. We recognize that, as Peter will say this too in 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, the promise has been given to his children. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. We remember in the very beginning, Genesis, it was man who brought upon the curse by not being obedient to God, and everything that they planted along with that would come thorns and thistles. As I've said it once or maybe a hundred times, and I'll say it another hundred times, my dad always say, two hours of weeding in the farm, like every day. And I hated the curse. I long for the day in which you can plant a plant and nothing grows up with it to, com- to compete with it. Um, morning glory in Spokane is awful. We, there's a sense in which we recognize that there will be one day that the earth itself will work alongside of the beloved. I'll run against it. Romans 8, 18 to 21, Paul acknowledges this reality. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the ancient's longing of creation waits eagerly 
for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was set to fertility. Not willingly, we brought them upon this curse. But because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God. Christians rejoice in hope, even for creation, anticipating it won't be like this forever. I hesitate to bring this up because I've mentioned it a couple of times but already, but when I went down now a month ago to do my Ironman, there was a storm that hit on Sunday morning, the day of the race, 40 mile an hour winds, five inches of rain that canceled the race. Now, you can look at an event that only happens once in a lifetime or once in every hundred years, totally different as a Christian or one who has no hope ahead. People of the world will recognize that these are random events or, like myself, I walk from the race and I'm reminded once again, the earth is not made new. It fights against us. It reminds us there is no yet peace on earth. And we walk away and we think, God didn't want us to race again. The reality is, is that's not just storms, that's COVID. How many plans have been interrupted? And we're reminded again that creation itself does not work for us, but rather against us. And we long for these things to pass away. Not interrupt vacation plans. And we anticipate and we hope that some things would just stick and not be moved. Just even this last weekend is Thanksgiving, new variants. Like in these moments, like what do the Christians rejoice in? One day there will be a world where that doesn't occur. Earth itself will work with us. And so we rejoice in hope. Now, if you didn't have a God who could do such things, and that this is all there was, you can understand now why they do the things that they do. We have to end it today. We have to be as quick as possible, right? I'm not getting political. I'm not taking any sides. I'm just saying you have to get it over so that we can get back to some sense of normalcy. In reality, we as Christians, we recognize there is no such thing. For the days in which we live will always be trouble. Luke 21 and 11. And there will be great earthquakes. He taught this to the disciples. There will be great earthquakes. Just as you get done with one, another one will come. In various places, plagues. Just as you get done with one, another one will come. There'll be famines, plural. Just as you get done with one, another one will come. I think you get the point. Be take great terrors and great signs from heaven. Luke 21, 33. How committed is God to this? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Current situation, the present time, troubles. And when the troubles face the world, what does the world do? Lawlessness increase and the love of man will grow cold. But Christians rejoice. For these things shall pass away. Revelation chapter 1 on verse 1. We haven't even gotten through the whole verse. Gives us hope. Return me back to Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Praise God. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. People have read this and they're concerned. I love water sports. 
Will there no longer be water? Well, no. I told my own, my own children, know this, I'm not preaching through Revelation. And so then this week, they're like, you're preaching on Revelation 21? You lied. Well, I'm not going to preach the whole thing. And God probably will one day ask me to preach that, right? Maybe you'll ask me and I'll have to do it. Um, there's tons of symbolism that's revealed in the book of Revelation. And it comes to understanding through as you read through the text. Yes, the sea can and does refer to this local body which separates people from people. And that Paul had to get on a boat to go see family, see people in Rome. And that just took time. And separation from the beloved people that they love, that, that weighs on a people. Even at times during Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're aware of this. When we're separated from family, it just, there's a struggle there. Jesus, Paul reminds, excuse me, not Paul, John, Jesus. John reminds, there will be no longer, nothing that separates in great way people from one another. But more than that, if you've read through the book of Revelation, you anticipate, you see this, that the sea often refers to this cosmic evil. Out of the sea comes all sorts of evil. Romans 13, 1. And a dragon, dragon stood on the sand and the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Evil comes out of the sea. Praise God. In the new creation, in the new heavens, there will be no sea in which evil comes out of regularly, which tempts in new ways people from their Lord. It refers also to the rebellious nations, Romans Excuse me, Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. I could read Revelation as well. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. But the wicked are like the tossed sea, for it cannot be quiet. You can see it, the people under trouble, they toss back and forth, and its waters toss up or fuse in mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked who come out of the sea. And I saw, why do Christians rejoice with hope? We see yet promised for us a new heaven and a new earth with none of this. And which stirs up new evils, no nation against another nation. There's unity. There's delight in the one who's established these things. It's also referred to as the place of the dead as we will come to see as we continue in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 20, 13 already gives hint to this. It's the sea which gives up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades give up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. No more death. I mean, chapter, first one has so much to hope for. New earth, a new heaven that works with you, no death, no evils. But then it just gets better. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Literally, as we have already tasted the Spirit of God, which already dwells with us, we have tasted a foreshadow of what is to come. God himself, as Brian has prayed, with us. Literally, physically. The prophets of old say, they will say, people will say, let us go up and worship him. We only see a form, but there will be one day we will see his face, face to face. How great will that be? And so we have hope. 
Although while we have tasted it in the spirit, now we actually long for it in reality in the world yet to come. And it will be a new Jerusalem, a new city, a, a holy city, a righteous city. Tell me where you found one on earth this day. Has any city, any state, any nation done this rightly? Now here is what is to promise. There is one to come which will do it for all eternity. In which all states, all nations, all kingdoms will turn their eyes. It was Brian who rightly prayed from Isaiah. And the, the government will rest upon his shoulders. Why do we rejoice in hope? As we have this sense, we are not delusional Christians. We don't buy into the lie in which the government will sometime come to a place in which it will be perfect. No. It will, it will attempt it, but it will not be able to fulfill it. There is only one who is able to bear the weight of the world in its policies and its rule, which is Christ, which will be physically located in the new city of Jerusalem. And we wait for it. Those of you who have been married, men, as you have anticipated, there's this idea that we made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. We long for it. We rejoice in hope for its arrival. We know we can taste it. We've seen it in our own spirit that these things will come soon. We hope for it. But if this is all we have to hope for in this world, you can recognize why so many people are, hear me cautiously here, and I don't think it's wrong, but I just want to know, like, why we're so tempted to look for some other place. Like, the world knows. Like, we, let's go build utopia. That's, that's the idea. But the Christian is not delusional. We can't find it. Never will. Until he comes. Until the holy city comes. And when he comes, when he establishes, it's Forever. And so we rejoice that this is not all we have to hope for. I wonder if they hear us. Do we talk like this? Like, is this the character of the Christian ethic in our workplaces and our families around the Thanksgiving table? This longingness, the hope that we have been promised. I don't say that to you, just you, but merely I also say that to myself. Look at its beauty. If we were to spend time, I'm going to lose time. You can look at Revelation chapter 21. You go look at 10 through 14. That's how beautiful the city will be. I do want to spend just a moment looking at verse 22. So just jump down. In this city, verse 22. It says there's going to be, I saw no temple in it. Why? For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. What? God himself, there, present. No need to go through this building. You will actually get to go see the Lord face to face. And the city has no need of its sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp, lamp is the Lamb. And here's the unity of the nations. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime. For they will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. Pointing to the fact now that evil has been eliminated from the world, the gates just stay open. Access to the King of Kings at all times. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination, lying, shall ever come into it. 
but only those whose names are written in the Lamb, books, the Lamb's book of life. What a remarkable promise to come. The early church believed this so profoundly, they had what we call an over-realized eschatology. And what I mean by when I say this, they believed that Jesus was the king of kings. Caesar, sorry, you're not king. Because Jesus is king. And so, we're just going to obey him, because he's our king. Oh, you think you have a nation? Our king has the world. We submit to him only. And so this over-eschatology, they defied Caesar and his practice and his authority that by this same standard that Peter and Paul both have to say, and this is what we'll come to see in Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, oh, no, no, you still have to submit to your governing authorities. Why? Because he's not here yet. And government still has something to play. Well, okay, we'll pay our taxes. Right? We, on the other hand, I question, like, do we see a kingdom outside of our own kingdom? This own nation is right at this present. We, do we have a hope for the kingdom which is to come? Access. Rejoice in hope. We can't hope if we don't know what to hope for. That's the point why I want to stir our hearts in Revelation 21. The city will be the hope in which the king dwells. Look at verse 4. Go back to the beginning. So there's, no, there's a new heaven and a new earth, no longer sea, a new city in which the presence of God dwells. In verse 3, I'll jump down to verse 4, but let me start at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, as he knows you. And there will no longer be any, oh, praise the Lord, death done. There will no longer be any mourning, crying, pain. The first things have passed away. There is something true and right as the world tries to conquer its troubles by eliminating it. We don't want them. And there's this inward desire which God himself has put there to eliminate the pains and sufferings that we all face. But we're not delusional Christians. We know that there's a limitability to do so. There is only one who can eliminate the problems of this world in such great way, which the, the, the weight of the world which has been oppressed by for, for, for very sense, from the very, very sense from the very beginning, which is death. There's only one who can eliminate it. Death. Like I have loved ones who live in pain. You live in pain. Like I get a headache and I'm a baby. Some of you walk in pain. And you rejoice. Why? Because I think you have hope that it's just for a moment and that there is a promise. And you realize the hope which is set before you more than I even realize it in myself. I have to create my own pain. I train for triathlons. Maybe that's my, I don't know. But the reality is, is that, like, even when I sat around the Thanksgiving table, there was concern for loved ones who were sick. 
What a great table there will be one day when that will not occur. When all is well with the family. Because the king has eliminated everything that would separate a family from one another. No sin. Oh, man. Just the sin which we have to deal with in our marriages, in our families. And we talk, throw that on top of the, our society. To come to a table in unity without... We rejoice in hope. We know that the trouble we face today, lawlessness will increase and the love of man will grow cold. What do we cling to? It's hope for these things. Even knowing that we ourselves contribute to these things. Good verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write thee, write, write thee, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. What's so cool about that is that Jesus is asking John to write this, and in Jesus' mind, it hasn't been yet done, but it's done. Like, nothing's going to persuade him from something else. You take this to the bank. There will be a day when death is eliminated, when your pains are gone forever. You will run and you will not get weary. Promises, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, verse 6. He's signing his, line, his, his name on the line. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of, of the water of life without cost. So he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. These are yours. And so in the midst of the seasons that we live, as trouble increases, lawlessness will increase, the love of man will grow cold, the, the beloved hopes. And so when Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, if we don't have eschatology put in, or, or things to come in our mind, then you have no hope. And so, what is the job of the Christian is to remind ourselves regularly of these things so that we might have hope. Romans 12, verse 12, rejoice. Excuse me, rejoice in hope. Be reminded of the hope set before you. I have it written down here for me in Hebrews. Um, it talks about, um, like, why, why in the world do we uh, gather why, this, we sing songs and we listen to a man speak for a while and then we go back home. And Hebrews chapter 10, he says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. So we, we want to have hope as Christians. So without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. And so why, how do we build up hope in the beloved? Let us consider how to stay. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why do we do this? To learn how to rejoice in hope. Now, I haven't all along this way neglected the reality that, that suffering does exist. It does exist. And rejoicing doesn't mean always happy, right? It just means that in the midst of the pain and suffering that we do feel, we hope all the more. 
I hope. That's what the Spirit of God should do within us. So that we can fulfill what's next in verse 12, persevering in tribulation. Jesus said it himself, he who overcomes, I will be his God. There's an idea within the Christian ethic, even while things get tough, we hold fast. We persevere and hope we persevere through the trouble. Peter writing to the church, I've mentioned this as well already. He writes in the same way. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. It's been, been hard. So what I love to do with, with my family, so it's the worst it's ever been. Christians have been saying that in every generation. And they have had to persevere. So, why do these things happen? Verse 7, so the proof of your faith. Being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, or when he comes, when that hope is fulfilled. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. With joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope. If you don't know what's promised you ahead, you will not persevere. And so in the midst of trouble, we learn where is our hope. Where are our eyes fixated? And we know that Jesus himself submitted himself to trouble. And for the glory of the Lord, he had produced our salvation. And so I think it's helpful, even in a day like this, if you're like me, when it started in 2020, like when we get to 2021, it'll get better. And I think if you're like me, we think in 2022... It'll get better. What if not? What happens if it just gets harder? We stir our minds in the hope that these things will pass. And this is just for a moment. And so we encourage to stimulate one another in love and our gatherings. Build your life upon the, on the rock. Fix your eyes on Christ who suffered. Run the race. Don't waver. Rejoice in hope. And persevere. For those who do, those who overcome, inherit the promise. And so I've always liked to think through trouble, it reveals to us of the beloved where we stand. Do we stand on the hope of Christ? Which I'd like to just reflect. And I spent a lot of time in point one for a point. I just wanted to stir our minds to what is promised to us. Point two is just like persevering, holding fast to that hope. Uh, I was sitting, uh, um, let me turn to our convictional response. Let me turn it to this way. Uh, if Christ, as some might 
think and might teach is Jesus is really practicable about the present, and that's all he has to deal with. There's nothing promised ahead, right? Um, they they want to keep Jesus as a teacher. They, wanna, they don't want to keep him as a, one who's returning as king. He's a rabbi who's given instruction how to, to live rightly in the season, he's, but he's only about the present. Paul warned us in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if we have hope in Christ in this life only, meaning not, nothing yet to come, we are of all men most to be pitied. Why? Because Christ promised something. He's coming back, literally. And I can find in my own self, in my own season, say, come right now. Because I don't want to suffer anymore. Well, I don't, sufferings are not probably, I don't want to be troubled anymore. And the reality is, is that what I have learned as I've studied the scriptures and even church history, there have been two heirs. There are those who are like, Jesus, come right now. And, it's, and it has no compassion or concern for the world around him, which suffers. And so, get me out of this situation now, Lord. Neglecting whom God is actually saving in the midst of the trouble. Historically, what I've learned is I've seen as Christians, they would say, Lord, please come soon. Come now, but wait. Because my neighbor doesn't know you yet. And his son is in the hospital and he doesn't know him either. No, Christ either. And they don't have hope. And that Christians have historically looked at the situations around them in trouble they rejoice in hope. Even Abraham. Abraham was given a promise. The land is yours. The people in it will be yours. And he died never receiving the promise. Why? Most the natural man would say, that's not very hopeful. Because he looked ahead of a day to a people who would be ones who respond in faith like him. to The God who made promises and enjoy the promise with him that he was willing to die and be buried for thousands of years in anticipation to enjoy the promise with you. He had hope. And so I have this temptation as I see loved ones pass away. I can't bear it. Just come now. I'm reminded with Abraham and others, no Lord, wait. There's one struggle. Is that where you're at? You just want to get out of this. Well, let me tell you, God's saving people still. And we should be praying for them to respond to the hope that's set before them because this will pass. And we can speak with confidence. The Alpha and the Omega has written his name on the promise. He's making all things new. And so let us speak of the hope while we want to get out of it knowing that his timing is perfect when he comes. The other danger is to be so hoped and saturated in the present realities that you never look forward. And I have found that, that there is nothing to hope for and all you have put your hope in is in the present. It just leads to complaining, grumbling. It's pretty frustrating to think that this is all we have. And I found that over even this, that 
I, I tend to lean this way. And I can chalk it, chuck it up and say, well, I have a better kingdom ahead. And if I lean too far that way, I don't become compassionate to the world around me, which is suffering without hope. So Christians are marked by this weird Christian ethic that is moved with through the Spirit to rejoice in hope, persevering through cancer, through COVID, through loss of a job, through their stance with Christ, through all sorts of situations, knowing that these things shall pass. And so in light of this Christmas, we go anticipating in light of what But God himself dwelled among us and he died for our sins. He gave us hope that we walk rightly in this world. Entirely different. We are a hopeful people. Good eschatology produces hope. This is not all that there is. Bad eschatology says this is all we have to live for. And the church historically has said, come now, but wait. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 4.13 Even in light of death some of us will die early and before his coming we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep. Paul he'll talk about the Christian beloved when you die you're just asleep it's cute about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no This is what's so marvelous about the resurrection. Before Jesus died on the cross, he told his disciples, I will die on the cross for sins, and three days later, I'll resurrect. This is the hope of the gospel. My grandpa, my grandmother, my loved ones, those in whom in this own gathering in which we have buried, we will hold them once again. And we rejoice in that hope that the last time wasn't the last time. And there will be a table unlike the thanksgivings of the world has ever experienced in which the family will come together with death, pain, suffering, entirely eliminated. So I want to to take the table together, together in light of that day, hopefully. And so I ask of you to consider where you're at. How are your conversations? Are they hopeful? Would the people around you think you're a person of hope for what is to come? Rejoice in hope persevere in the tribulation that you face. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. We are indeed, I bet, by the world's eyes, an odd people. We believe that you became flesh, that you dwelt among us, that you were God incarnate, that you walked on waters, that you feed, that you fed the 5,000, you loved children, While you called the kings of the world to repentance, you took those who were sick and hungry and claimed them as your own. The hands of Christ are glorious and wonderful. He ruled. He will rule with justice. He will not judge by what his eyes sees, but he will see the hearts of men and render to everyone according to their deeds. Lord, we know what it means to overcome. The righteous will live by faith. Our present hope is not in this world, but in him who will restore all things. In him who has died for our sins, who has raised raised from the dead, who has conquered death, 
and has given the promise of this new kingdom, which he will establish for those who respond in faith. Those are the overcomers. And so, Lord, in that light, Lord, I pray that we be found, even in our own season, to be faithful to that standard. Lord, as we take the table this morning, Lord, I pray that we would confess if we have become those who hope merely in this present season and not in the kingdom to come. I pray if we have been a people who have said, come now, and not responded compassionately to our neighbors, that we would confess of our lack of concern for those who do not have hope. That we'd walk in the hope by proclaiming Christ graciously and humbly when the times you provide for us to speak them. Lord, as we wait together to take the communion, Lord, I pray that you would be honored by our taking of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite the ushers up.